with this great resignation, you know, employers having to rush to fill positions, does, you know, training and safety still take the forefront or are we rushing those things and having employees in positions where, you know, they might not necessarily have, you know, hundred percent of the safety and the training that they originally had, you know, we're having claims result from those kinds of situations. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry, and I'm joined today by my colleague and partner, Lisa Miller. How are you, Lisa? I'm fine, Megan. How are you? Great. I'm so happy you're on with me. I don't think you've been on the podcast in some time. Maybe it was last year on Mother's Day. Was that the last one I had yep. you join me? Yep. But me and my mom. <laughs> oh, your mom is a sweetheart, though. I loved having doing that. We're going we're gonna to re-air that probably around Mother's Day because it was such a good podcast. Okay. Um, but today we don't have your mom on. <laughs> we are kind of revisiting a comp series that we did. Um, I started doing last year. We tried to have, you know, regular uh, comp themed podcasts and I decided to bring that back. So today we're joined by Andrea Emmett, who is a work compensation claims consultant at CCMSI. Um, and we're just going to come on. We're going to talk about her and, you know, hot comp issues. So with that, let's bring her in. Good morning, Andrea. Welcome to the Defense of Rest. How are you this morning? Thanks. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy that you're joining Lisa and I. Um, we haven't done a comp themed uh, podcast in, in some time. So thank you for helping, helping us restart our, our comp series. We were trying to do these um, at least once a quarter. And then I we think we fell off for like two quarters. So you've rejuvenated it for me. Thanks <laughs> for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I know you've listened to a few of these podcasts. So you kind of have an idea of how, like kind of how I structure it. Um, and I like to start by, you know, getting to know who, who, who's joining me that, that day and getting to know their story a little bit. So, you know, how did you end up in in claims and working on claims like were your parents in insurance or did you kind of just fall into it I just fell into it um you know I saw the um job posting and I had a lot of things that would appeal to me with you know investigating um you know learning laws you know becoming you know kind of a workers comp expert in your area and um you know all of those things seem to match up with the person, you know, my personality and, and kind of the things I enjoyed. Um, and, and most importantly, you know, being able to help people that really needed help. Um, you know, my family uh, is mostly blue collar. So, um, you know, being able to help people that are boots to the ground and, you know, working in those kinds of industries um, that really appealed to me. So, um, I applied to the job and, you know, went through the process and, you know, it worked out and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and some points that you bring up that I think are, are so key though, to the industry, you know, one helping people, cause I think that's a misconception with, um, in claims that, mm -hmm. you know, people generally think like in claims, you're not here to help. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and also the investigative aspect, you know, which I think is such in, in comp claims. And I mean, I do liability work and I mean, the investigative aspect is huge. And when mm -hmm. you're, you know, researching and defending a, a claim. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think those are two like huge skill points that sometimes people don't realize are, are part of this industry. Right. Right. For sure. And, you know, and not only that, but just like the strategization behind all of it too, um, you know, having to put those pieces and, and, you know, all those moving parts and making sure you're doing things at the right time. Um, you know, that also is, you know, very appealing to me. I like to strategize and making sure that, um, you know, I'm handling things appropriately and, and making sure I'm bringing things to resolution, uh, but, you know, also monitoring those um, claims that might not be 100%. Um, but, you know, like you said, really help trying to help those that really truly need the help um, and being, um, you know, kind of that guide person for them to get them from injured to back to, you know, good as soon as possible. You know, we, it's a scary world when you don't have a claim before, you haven't been through the process. Uh, so explaining things in, in, you know, simple terms and being able to, um, you know, guide them through what could be a very complicated and scary process. Um, you know, that's really what drives me in, in my claims career is, um, you know, being able to be that resource for them. Yeah. Do, do you find that, you know, having a family that has a blue collar background helps you um, kind of empathize with the, the, the people that you're um, that have a claim um, so that you can, act, you know, make them feel comfortable to give, give you the information that you need while you're doing your investigation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just being human, having, you know, kindness for other humans, you know, you can relate to that, um, you know, it's anybody's father, brother, sister sister, mother that, you know, has had an injury, you know, and and keeping those things in mind when um, you're talking to people and, you know, it does, you you know, you relate to that. Um, You know, that's one thing I've always tried to keep in my mind when I'm helping claimants and trying to explain things to them, trying to get them through the process as easy as possible, try to reduce the stress level. Um, the last thing you want is a stressed out claimant. <laughs> so, um, you know, that can create some problems for you and, um, you know, and handling the claim. So yeah. um, I think just, you know, treating them like a, a human. And, you know, I think that is just something that has come naturally to me. I think just having that empathy for sure helps with yeah. uh, this kind of job. And I think empathy is so important. And then like, but true empathy, not um, fabricated empathy. Like, I think if your claimant understands that you truly understand, like they, they see that you truly sympathize and appreciate their, their position where they're in, you're there to help. I think that, that shines, it shines through that they, they feel like they have a partner in, in a way through the process. For sure. For sure. I agree with that. You know, people can always tell when you're not you know, being authentic and genuine. So um, having that natural empathy definitely goes a long way. Um, yeah. you know. So when you, so you were saying how you, you came out of, out of college and you kind of, you found your way into, um, mm-hmm. you know, your career as a, in comp as a comp adjuster and you started at Synergy Comp and you were there for, for some time. How was your experience there with, um, you know, finding your way in the, in the role? Like, did you have a a mentor or someone in that kind of role that kind of groomed you and helped you um, navigate this, this new career for you? For sure. You know, we, 
at that time had the opportunity to train with um, many people on staff, so several different adjusters. So you would learn how they did things as opposed to another adjuster, and you just kind of found the way that worked for you. Um, but yeah, it was uh, definitely a learning experience. I, I certainly bumbled through like my first <laughs> litigated claims. I'm sure people probably wondered what I was talking about. <laughs> when I'd fire off an email to a defense counsel, they'd probably be like, oh my goodness, what am I dealing with? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was definitely an experience and, and a good learning one. I feel, you know, you know, I think we all do that when we start a new job, you know, you have no idea what to expect <laughs> and you kind of just fake it till you make it. So, um, but yeah, I definitely experienced that and learned a lot of things along the way. Um, and, uh, it was nice to be able to learn from, you know, some tenured employees and learn how they really did things and how to handle things the best way. Um, you know, especially when a situation could be potentially volatile, um, you know, being able to learn how they put out those fires and, you know, address the situation and, and move the claim forward. So, um, you know, navigating through that was definitely an adventure and, um, you know, definitely learning the, the legal aspects of the claims and the case laws and, you know, making sure that you're doing things appropriately per jurisdiction, yeah. um, was definitely a learning experience. Uh, I, I can't say enough how much I've learned through, you know, doing claims. Um, you know, it's just been, you know, a constant uh, education process and not only with NPA, which is like my main jurisdiction, but, you know, there's always something new to learn. There's always something new coming out, um, things to pay attention to, uh, things that are going to affect your claims, rising medical costs. And, oh, here we are. We have a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you need someone like Lisa. Lisa's the best at finding, like, she always knows what's up and coming in in your world. I feel like you're always posting on on LinkedIn about something new. (laughs) Uh, Is that what you find the most difficult about um, dealing with comp, especially if you have multiple jurisdictions, that every jurisdiction is different uh, in terms of um, with COVID, you know, New Jersey has a presumption, Pennsylvania doesn't, California does. Um, so do you find that difficult if you handle multiple jurisdictions that, you know, you could potentially be dealing with 50 different, <laughs> 50 different rules for the, for the same issue? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just always asking the questions that are important. If you're all unsure, you know, that's the first thing I'm doing is picking up the phone and asking defense counsel, um, you know, Hey, here's this claim. Here's the situation. You know, how is this appropriately handled if I don't know hundred percent? So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge trying to keep up with everything, um, you know, and, knowing the rules and regulations definitely of each state and jurisdiction, you know, some are just wildly different. It's, I mean, it's also that's similar for, for GL stuff too. I mean, I like, you know, what, what happens in PA is not exactly the same as what happens in, in New Jersey or, you know, some of the other jurisdictions. So I, I, I think that's uh, something I can certainly appreciate. And I think a lot of other, other people and claims, uh, any type of claim can appreciate how it changes as you cross state lines <laughs> yes, and absolutely. county lines even to some extent you know yeah and one of the things I think I most struggle with even today is just 
you know, coming from PAs being kind of your main state and you're used to selling things out full and final, you're never going to see them again. <laughs> and then you have New Jersey where they just keep coming back and coming back and coming <laughs> back. And, um, you know, it's just something they get used to. Um, you know, I had never experienced that until I moved into, you know, handling Jersey claims. And it's just like, what a headache. Oh my goodness. How do I deal with this? And, you know, you can't just wrap this up and resolve it and, you know, be done with it. Um, you're probably going to see it come back. <laughs> <laughs> like a bad penny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what prompted you to, to make the change from Synergy Comp over to CCMS? CCMSI. Um, so moving from Synergy to CCMSI was mainly, um, you know, to learn more jurisdictions. Um, you know, Synergy is a great company. I mean, they really taught me how to handle claims effectively. Um, you know, we really became experts through our training. Um, but, uh, you know, the jurisdictional scope was kind of limited. So, you know, I wanted to learn the, you know, lay of the land for different states. Um, so it really prompted that move. Um, so, and two, I changed from a carrier background to moving into TPA world. So um, we had had a couple TPA accounts um, with Synergy and that I had handled. So I was kind of familiar with it. But again, it was like another big difference is learning, you know, how to handle the TPA cases per your clients recommendations and, you know, their wishes. So, um, you know, <clears throat> that was another big change, but it did provide that opportunity to, you know, move on into new jurisdiction. So, um, you know, I just finished my New York license, so I'm sure I'll be moving into New York pretty soon. And also Delaware, I'm uh, going to be learning more of that soon. So, um, and I've heard New York is kind of like the, the wild west of workers' <laughs> compensation. So that should be interesting. It's kind of the wild, wild west for like anything, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> in California, I hear. Yeah. Yes. An <laughs> uh, yes. Um, and, you know, and you moved over, you know, in, in the midst of, of the pandemic. So how was that transition for you? Um, well, were you remote to begin with? Yeah, well, we had, we had moved from, you know, in office to remote with the pandemic for Synergy. Um, and then my transition to CCMSI was, you know, to permanent remote, which, I prefer, I don't know, you know, everyone has their own, um, you know, opinions on that, but um, I just work well, you know, independently, you know, I really am happy to stay as a full-time remote employee. So, um, but yeah, I will be continuing that uh, into the future. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I was home four days a week pre-pandemic. And so when, when that happened, I was like, ah, what, what, what change is that? And except that yeah. everyone else was home and that was annoying, but um, <laughs> like Lisa is in our office and Lisa's in our, Lisa, you're in the office. I think most days, I think. I, I try to come in a couple days a week just to kind of stay in touch with, with reality. I think <laughs> at work, at work, I never thought I could work from home. And then the pandemic taught me that I could work from home, but mm -hmm. I'm working more at home than I do. <laughs> than I do in the office because at the, in the office, you have a natural end to your day. Yeah. Um, right. That's the hard part about working, working from home. I agree. I, I think I definitely work more 
as a remote employee than, you know, in office. Um, and not only that you had that natural end to the day, but you had those natural distractions built in, you know, your employees were like right around the corner you could go talk to them. And, you know, there was definitely a lot more, um, you know, socialization going on. Now I just socialize at my desk on teams and, you know, it's not the same, but I definitely work a lot more than I did as a, an office employee. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But then uh, like I do different, like I do different things that I think are helpful. Like I, like when I was in the office, a lot of times I would spend most of my time socializing because I'd be so happy to see everyone. I'd plan my lunch or whatever, but at home I'm like, oh, each day. I go out on like a walk with my neighbor and her dog because I don't have a dog and she does. So I, I get to walk the dog without, the, without having to deal with having a dog. Nice. And like that sort of stuff. I'm like, well, it's like, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel as chained to like this, this space and as super isolated as, as it could, could be. Um, but I definitely, definitely struggle with the end of the day type stuff when it's like, oh, well, it's 545. I, I should transition out to you know dinner and homework and all those things yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> for sure but I, I will say I appreciate the freeing up of my life too um, as a remote employee you know you know it, it lets me get to the gym in the morning and get home and you know I'm at my desk by eight o'clock but you know it, it freed up that time to do that you know it freed up the you know, ability to see my kids more, um, you know, you're not spending all this time driving to and from daycare and picking them up and dropping off. And, um, you know, they're out with their babysitter in the living room and, you know, you can pop out and see them, you know, if if there's an emergency, I'm still here. Um, you know, it really just positively impacted my life as a working parent and hugely, um, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was actually having that same sentiment like last week. uh, Both my kids were sick and they had to stay home from school. Mm -hmm. And like, and they're a little probably older than than your kids are not. They're in like elementary school. But if that happened like with daycare and stuff like that would just like, it would cause a lot of stress that day. I'd be like, I'd get nothing done. And granted, they're a little bit older now. So they're a little more, they don't need me as much when they're sick, but they still like need me. So, but just having that, you know, flexibility that I didn't have to like stress that I had to change anything on my schedule. Like I could still appear to whatever's on, on my calendar for that, that day, um, you know, without, without worrying about, you know, having to cancel because I had to attend something in person. For Um, sure. For sure. And, you know, my daughter has, you know, some health issues that, you know, are temporary, but, you know, there are things that put pressure on your day to day and, you know, she gets these, um, recurring fevers. So, you know, and you can't send a kid to daycare when they're having a fever. So like you said, it, it, it's, you know, a total disruption to your day when you have to go pick them up and, you know, you can't have them in, in daycare in that situation. So you're coming, you know, coming home, you have a sick kid, you know, she has them now and she's still able to stay in the comfort of her home. I'm able to be here if she needs me. So, you know, it really just was such a positive impact on, you know, our family life for sure to move from, you know, a rem- uh, you know, in office to remote setting. Yeah. I do say as like terrible as COVID was, there is, there are silver linings to it that I think made some positive changes to our, like all of our, like 
how we approach work versus life and the balance of it and you know detaching from having to be in an office like like for like lisa chooses to be in the office because that's where she feels like that works best for her but not having the obligation to be to be in one place versus the other i think is helpful to everyone's own like how they approach work and the best way that they environ best environment they work in for themselves absolutely you know i think it's just a matter of personality and what works best for you know the person and the individual but and i i've talked to a lot of people on on the podcast who've made job transitions though during the pandemic mm-hmm. um and how was that transition for you you know onboarding you know you're onboarding as a fully remote employee yeah. with probably everybody else being fully remote I mean we've had people onboard at our own firm in that same scenario and it's got to be so weird I mean I, I went to the office a few weeks ago and I knew we had these, you know, new newer employees but I'd never seen them before but it's like you know it's just a like, it's just a different environment. So how was it for you? Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, You feel very much on an island. Um, You know, here comes a shipment with your laptop and your monitors and, you know, and you're setting up in your home office and, um, you know, everybody else is remote. So, you know, naturally, when you go to an office in person, you're making friends with other colleagues and stuff. And, I would say that the challenge is, you know, making those personal connections through a Teams meeting or a Teams chat. Um, but I think all the differences with the, you know, the employer and how they handle that, you know, I was made so welcome and it was such a, <clears throat> it was such a comfortable transition. They're a really great employer. And, you know, I just had kind of, I mean, it was fairly seamless aside from those little nuances of, um, you know, am I actually going to interact with people today or am I just going <laughs> to you know, be on the computer all day? Um, you know, so it, it was kind of, it was kind of different in that respect, but, um, yeah. you know, I think it's probably going to be, um, you know, the norm for a lot of claims people moving forward, you know, you're seeing full companies move to full remote now and permanently. So you know, I, I think it's just um, so important on how the uh, employer handles those transitions and, and really encourages to, um, you know, include people, you know, as part of a team um, when they do come on board. And I do feel like in claims, it was generally more common to have employees at least be remote some of the time and some fully time. Like I feel like the claims world was very ingrained in that remote life. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it wasn't taking on something new, but it still had, I mean, I just imagine it has to be bizarre, like to come on and try to make, you know, virtual friends. It's like, come, you know, going the AOL chat rooms, like, hi, yes. I'm Andrea, I'm new here. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, what's your location? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> yeah, it definitely was very much like that. Now that you say that, how funny, like the days of the internet going into a chat room. <laughs> you want to eat lunch at the same time and chat? <laughs> That's great. I had you come on though to talk about you know trends that we're seeing in comp um, and you know and some of the pain points that you have that come across your desk in the, in the comp world. So um, you know, given that we're like, I feel like the last two years 
so much of the conversation has been COVID, you know, the presumptions of COVID in the comp world. Mm -hmm. So where do you see things like turning or moving with these COVID claims? Is it going to like kind of fade away into the distance and we're going to have something new arise? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I think it's definitely slowing down in terms of, you know, how many things are coming across your desk. Cause at this point it's so prevalent. Like, how are you going to prove exactly where this came from, how you got it? Um, you know, that kind of aspect of the COVID claims has certainly dwindled. Um, and I, I do, I eventually think it's going to just, you know, go away. It's going to become like, Oh, I got the flu or the cold and, you know, do we see claims for that? Knock on wood. I don't. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think it's definitely going to go, you know, by the wayside eventually, it's just a matter of getting there. You're still going to have those couple thrown in here and there, but you know, at this point, it's not really something that's a huge concern at the moment. In terms of during, in terms of remote work, did you see any claims come across your desk where, someone's filing a claim because they were working remotely and they fell down stairs walking to their home office or any, anything like that? Not yet. (laughs) Most of my, yeah, most of my clients, you know, they, I don't really have claims that would happen like that. They're all like in-person employees. So um, thankfully I have not encountered that, but I'm sure that's going to be, you know, a changing part of the landscape as we move forward with, you know, a lot of remote work now. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, is a concern is not so much the, the COVID anymore, but how, um, you know, with this great resignation, you know, employers having to rush to fill positions, you know, and with that comes the idea does, you know, training and safety still take the forefront or are we rushing those things and having employees in positions where, you know, they might not necessarily have, you know, hundred percent of the safety and the training that they originally had or would have pre, you know, pre, um, you know, mass resignation from, you know, positions. So, you know, are we having more accidents because of this? And, you know, what are going to be some of the ramifications from that? I think we're going to see some, you know, here and there. I think I probably already have seen a couple of cases where, you know, that has impacted, um, you know, the, the claim and, you know, we're having claims result from those kinds of situations. And I could see, and let me know if this is something that you've seen, like a rise in claims due to staffing shortages so you have people doing the jobs of not just what they're supposed to be doing but but more Mm -hmm. individuals so then you're kind of spread thin and you might Mm -hmm. not follow all all the procedures and maybe you don't know the other jobs so well so you're there's some like corners being cut and I could see um issues arising in, in that have you seen that come across um I I think that I have for sure you know I you know that hasn't come out in my conversation with a claimant, but, you know, just given the fact that they're rushing and, you know, they don't have as many employees as they typically would have assisting them with jobs, you're going to have these injuries result. And, you know, that has been the case. So yes, I have, I have seen that, you know, happen, you know, with these claims that are coming in, um, you know, a couple of different ones, in fact. Um, So I think that's really what is impacting claims the most at this point um, from what's coming across my desk. 
because I, I just, and I imagine even like with like the shift work um, type jobs that even, you know, they're supposed to have breaks every so often. I could, I, or at certain increments, I could see some of that falling to the wayside because they did some of the shift work stuff. You need people on the floor and it's, then it's disrupting, you know, production and then that's slowing things down. And I, I, I just see a slippery slope. Um, and I know you can't talk specifics about anything, but is it generally something you might be that you're seeing as a trend? Um, yeah, I would say so. And, and, you know, just tiredness of employees of having them work, you know, double shifts, you know, to make up for, you know, lack of manpower, you know, and, you know, things like that, you know, are certainly, I think coming up and, um, you know, they're going to impact things you know, as long as we have this job shortage and people, you know, hopping positions, um, you know, I think it's definitely just a natural progression of things. And, and I think you're definitely right. It's a slippery slope. You know, how do we, you know, mitigate these things, you know, when there is such a, an issue with um, employment shortage right now? Yeah. And so like, what, what sort of changes do you think can, I mean, it can be made on, on the employer front because, I mean, you, sure, you can try to attract new employees, but there's no guarantee they're going to come. So, right. you know, right. what can what can they do to try to, you know, combat that, you know, they, there's definitely shortage, but they have demands of trying to, you know, mm-hmm. get product or materials or anything out the door. Um, right. You know, I, it's like a clamp on both sides almost. Yeah, it is. I I really don't know the answer to that question. You know, we have, uh, you know, and it's in every industry too. I mean, you're talking Mm -hmm. manufacturing, you know, housing and like, you know, food, um, you know, fast food restaurants, hotel, hospitality, you know, it's everywhere. So I don't know, like there's only so many, um, you know, sign on bonuses and, and promises you can make. Um, you know, I think it's just, you know, is somebody going to be happy doing that job long term? And I don't know how you, you know, as an employer combat that. Um, I bet a lot of people would like to know the answer to that question because <laughs> they would be putting it into full force. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and this is my own, um, my me being naive but with the with the great resignation I always just keep asking myself like well what is everyone doing (laughs) like is anyone else asking that question or am I the only one who's being like okay so everyone's been quitting their jobs like are you just living off your independent wealth I just I don't what am I doing like what is everyone else doing (laughs) and I kind of was tossing that question back and forth with um a friend of mine you know did this many people, you know, get impacted by COVID or they, you know, no longer with us, God forbid, or, you know, did a lot of the older age, you know, working population retire due to it. And now we're just seeing the shortage from that. But, you know, I, when it comes to, you know, people my age and like what they're doing, I don't know, like, where are they? (laughs) What are they doing? Um, You know, I don't really know anybody that is unemployed at this point, Um, you know, and people that, you know, maybe were struggling to find positions in the past, you know, now's their time. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of question the same thing, you know, it, it did we just have like a mass retirement as well. And, yeah. you know, now there's all these open spots that we need to fill or, you know, 
It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely think the retirement part was part of it. I think at the beginning when there was all the extra incentives for unemployment, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, well, I'm making more not working, but that's all like that's ended. So now I'm like, well, what are y'all doing? What, what, yeah. What's going on? I mean, like the ones who are retired, I get they're living their best lives, but like, no, <laughs> but, but I'm not sure about everyone else. I don't, I, and this is just me being very naive. I, I, I admit it. I'm naive about these things, but I am very curious. <laughs> right. You would think because there's no, no incentive at this point to not move into the job sphere. Uh, you know, and, and there is those incentives too with, you know, sign on bonuses and, you know, there's so many, you know, higher wages for competitive fields. Um, you know, it, it is a good question. Maybe I'm naive as well. <laughs> I don't know where people are at, what they're doing. Oh, yeah. I know everyone listening knows how, like, they're probably like, oh, you too. You're so silly. <laughs> how do you don't comment. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. exactly. <laughs> um, so one, one thing that's come up a lot when, during um, some of these comp discussions I've had is the impact on telehealth on, mm-hmm. you know, evaluations um, of, you know, of injured employees and, you know, like the effectiveness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what are you seeing on your end? And I, I mean, one theme I've heard that is like, okay, you know, the, the guided, physical therapy mm-hmm. it, it works on telehealth like that's something that can definitely happen but then the actual doctor visits you know continuing with those on telehealth may be a, a detriment because the, the doctor doesn't actually have you know I mean they might have eyes on them but virtual eyes like it, it there is a benefit for being in the same room with a physician to evaluate your you know mm-hmm. where you are right now so what are you seeing right and and, and that's thing, things that I'm questioning too as you know we go along here I'm getting claimants that haven't been physically evaluated in two years. So what are you really doing? Is this, you know, are we really trying to push to, you know, recover? Are we going to resolve from this injury if you're not being seen for so long? Um, It's just some wild stuff too. Like in addition to the guided physical therapy, the one claim I had, I saw a, um, virtual reality physical therapy. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's something that we're going to see now people are going to be receiving headsets to do virtual reality, you know, movements and stuff like they would with a video game. I don't know. I, Have any of these I, people watched those TikToks of people doing the virtual reality and like <laughs> falling into walls? <laughs> yeah. I know. And is that compensable now because yeah. they've fallen and injured themselves doing virtual reality physical therapy? Oh my God. It's a nightmare. I don't even want to think about it. No. <laughs> I mean, I like the concept. I mean, again, maybe like in a year, someone's gonna be like, how dumb are you, Megan, to laugh at this? Like the concept, maybe it makes sense. Like maybe it helps. But I just, I, again, I, 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 after Christmas and everyone got their VR headsets, there was all those TikToks of like grandma and grandpa trying it on and like falling down or like, you know, running into a wall or something like that. Right. So I, <laughs> like I, I see some red flags. For sure. For sure. And that was my immediate concern because you're not only talking about the expense of, you know, the equipment to go along with it. Will it be rented? Will they have to, you know, will we have to purchase the stuff for them? And, you know, what happens when they, you know, when and if they have an injury resulting from it? 
it's, you know, it, it's just a lot of unknown where that's concerned. Thankfully, I've only seen that with one claim, but you know, if one doctor is doing that, you can be sure that another one's going to jump on board too. Yeah. The doctor probably patented it and then now he's going to sell it and he's going <laughs> to part of the great resignation soon enough. <laughs> right. Well, I guess I, I did recently see, and I'm sure this is, there's a, another workout thing that does, you know how there's like that mirror workout thing that, yeah. and I think Peloton's coming out with something similar. So I could see something like that being, um, and like being beneficial to physical therapy that you're seeing yourself do the moves alongside like the instructor who's doing it. So you can tell if you're doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, I still think someone live is probably, I don't think it's a, I think it's a recorded person. So you're just like watching yeah. form. So um, I would think someone like actually commenting, be like, no, you need to do it this way. And adjusting it was probably more beneficial. Um, yeah. And again, in that evaluation piece, you know, how are you evaluating progression when they're just following a video, you know, and that's the things that, you know, I'm sure would come into question from, you know, the adjuster standpoint, you know, is this really effective treatment for this kind of injury? Um, you know, and is this really going to help progress them throughout their medical treatment? And to evaluate whether or not they're doing the treatment. I mean, (laughs) I mean, it's really easy to say, yep, did it today. And, you Mm -hmm. know, not be truthful about that. Whereas like, if you have to actually show up and someone has to check the box and do all the exercises with you, um, right. you know, it's a, it's a check and balance. Right. You know? For sure. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know how they would monitor that if there's some kind of technology, you know, behind that, where they can say, okay, they did these movements and, you know, here's the effort they were outputting. Um, you know, it, I think it would be hard to, to judge that, you know, even with the best technology we have today. Yeah. Lisa, what have you been seeing on, on your end on the, on the like physical therapy, virtual stuff on, like in, on the court side, like, is it, you know, if they're having, are you seeing a lot of claimants get physical therapy on the virtual side and how is that playing out? I haven't really seen a lot of physical therapy, but I have seen, you know, a health visit with uh, an orthopedic doctor or a a family doctor or even a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And on my, on my end, if I get an in Pennsylvania independent medical evaluations and I make sure they do them in person so that they lay eyes on them and hands if, if needed, um, But my argument with that treatment, if I'm going to a decision on some type of of claim, well, my doctor saw them in person. So my doctor must be more more credible or more believable because they actually physically examined them or psychologically or psychiatrically examined them as opposed to um, these doctors who see them from essentially the, the chest or head up. I mean, how do, how do you evaluate a back injury if you have them stand away from you and, you know, they tell you it hurts and you don't know, you don't know if they have a spasm um, or, or tightness or anything like that, or if they're even performing the maneuver correctly. Um, so I, I argue it in terms of 
if we have to go to a decision, a telehealth, a telehealth evaluation is not as good as a, as an in-person evaluation um, for, for the reasons that, you know, we already discussed. And I think that's valid. I mean, I, and I don't know who we would disagree. I mean, the only way I could, like, I could see like a psychiatric evaluation, maybe that can be just as effective on telehealth, maybe. Um, but an orthopedic, I mean, you get, you have to move the body yeah. parts. <laughs> and I, I would even question the psychiatric because, yeah. you know, they take a look at, you know, the overall condition of, of the person when they go in, you know, what is their appearance looking like? You know, how are they, um, you know, communicating with you? Are they, you know, engaging with you when you're speaking to them? And they look at everything when they do those, you know, evaluations. So again, I would question, are you really getting the full picture through a virtual, you know, or Zoom meeting, you know, a lot of times with, you know, psychiatric, I think it would be very hard to tell, you know, over a video screen, but you might see some things you wouldn't otherwise see in person, um, you know, show themselves um, in an actual physical examination. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's very true. And just how like the general demeanor too is right um, more prevalent in, in live and in person versus you know, mm-hmm. on Zoom um, or, you know, whatever platform they might be using. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so what other, you know, trends are you seeing or do you predict are going to be like some upcoming issues that we're going to see in the comp world? Hmm. Some other issues and trends. Well, I mean, aside from the ones we've already discussed, I think we still have, you know, the ongoing battle of, you know, compound creams and, you know, pens treatment, you know, excessive treatment with chiropractic care, you know, those kinds of treatments. Um, I think those are just a never ending battle when it comes to the claims world and comp. Um, You know, I think it's just, you know, continuation of like, you know, and strategizing your claim, you know, is now the right time to file UR against this kind of treatment, you know, continuation of this, is it really, you know, reasonable, necessary, um, you know, is this really affecting, you know, the claim and moving him to, or her to, you know, resolution at this point. So, you know, I think those are just kind of the constant battles with the claims world. Um, you know, you're going to continue to see, you know, the next new thing, you know, the next new thing where, you know, it's just a higher price and excessive treatment. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's always something new coming out. Um, so it's just kind of the constant battle. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, have you seen any, um, any claims or, or uh, requests come across your desk for medical marijuana? Um, I have not, I had one that was looking like it was going to go that way. And, you know, the claimant had kind of casually moved it into the conversation. Um, but never actually, you know, proceeded with, um, pursuing that. So I'll be interested to see how that, you know, pans out in the future. Do you have any kind of idea on how that's going to, to go from the litigation standpoint? I know. I think in New Jersey, there was uh, something that came about where it would have to be paid. And then some carriers were having an issue with, um, you know, how do you pay it under, you know, federal guidelines? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know, so that is that I, I do foresee still being an issue. But I think COVID 
kind of push that back, you know, out of the, onto the back burner. Right. Um, but I, I, I see that still being an issue and um, the opioid crisis. I mean, we have doctors that are prescribing, you know, every month, mm-hmm. uh, a certain amount of narcotic pain medication. And then you have, you know, how do you cut them off? And there is still an opioid crisis that COVID kind of, again, pushed to the back burner, but we're still going to have the same issue where we have a a bunch of claimants that are on narcotic pain medication for years Mm -hmm. for sprain and strain injuries that aren't, you know, catastrophic or require, require that they be on narcotic Mm -hmm. pain medication. So I think that's another issue that's going to come to the, to the back, to the forefront is, um, you know, the medication is not only the narcotic, but possibly the medical marijuana as a, as a, um, a palliative measure, you know, to combat the, the opioid, uh, problem that we have. Right. For sure. You know, and you have those, you know, legacy claims where there's, you know, people that have disabled themselves through, you know, opioid medication and, you know, too, you know, paying is paying for rehab, you know, the next step and, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, combat that kind of crisis is, you know, again, I I do think you're right. You know, all of those things kind of took the back burner when COVID came on the scene, but, you know, I think they're definitely going to move to the forefront again, now that we're not dealing with, you know, that so much, Um, you know, we're going to see some, another spike in those kinds of situations. Yeah, I definitely think it's like something that I think we all kind of forgot about, or maybe not all, but mm-hmm. some, you know, it, it got overshadowed. Um, and because this was just everything that everyone was talking about for, for two years. And now I think, you know, those problems didn't go away. <laughs> they just right. weren't highlighted as, as much as um, other things. I think they're, we're going to see more, more of them come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that ooh, my thing's stuck on my chair. Um, <laughs> one thing that um, Lisa brought up in her, her notes to me earlier, but I'll, I'll bring it up here and Lisa can tell me if I'm, I'm proposing it incorrectly. Um, but about employee employers providing transportation um, and comp claims arriving out of employer provided transportation. Have you seen um, what have you seen related to that? Um, again, I haven't really seen um, too much with that. Um, you know, the, the kinds of clients I have, it just won't come to come into play. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have too much to talk about with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because and, and maybe this is off base too, but the, and I remember this case that the I think it re- Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, it relates to that the parking lot case that I think there was employee provided transportation and they had to cross the a street where, where the, where the, the bus or whatever, the van let them off. They had to cross the street. And then the employee I think was hit by a third party while crossing the street. Is that, I think that's what happened in that pot in that case. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, there was a recent case where um, the employees were, they were cleaning, I think building cleaners. Uh, So would they would take a train uh, to the train station and then a van from the employee from the employer would come and pick them up and as they were getting out of the van they stepped incorrectly and 
uh, had an injury to their foot or ankle, and they were found to be in the course and scope of their employment, even though they weren't physically at their at their place of employment yet. And it's a a lot of course and scope. I don't know if you have any course and scope cases where they're falling in the parking lot, they're on their way to work. Um, in terms of in terms of trying to make that call at the onset of the claim, are they in the course and scope of their employment because they are just walking in the door or almost in the door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely had a couple of those cases, you know, in you know, just relying on defense counsel to help, you know, navigate those things because there's so many different nuances you can run into, you know, like you said, you know, if the employer is providing the van transportation from a train station, you know, at that point, you know, it's employer provided. So, you know, how does that play out? You know, it's just as, you know, making sure that you're questioning, you know, those, those details because, you know, that's totally going to change the outcome of the case um, and how you're going to, you know, manage the exposures from there on out. Um, You know, do we want to do that in Pennsylvania or do we want to pick up the claim because you can control the medical for 90 days? You know, it's those kinds of things you have to, you know, think about, um, you know, making those judgment calls, you know, really early on at the onset. I I think it's huge in how you, um, you know, really get to, um, you know, manage the claim, um, from that kind of standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think that's why it's so important, you know, when you're doing your initial investigation, if you establish, you know, a good rapport with the claimant, mm-hmm. because those issues are so fact sensitive, the, the more information you can get from the, from the claimant, from the employer at the outset, it helps you make an informed decision am I going to pick up this claim now or am I not going to pick it up? And am I going to be the next uh, Pennsylvania or New Jersey, you know, uh, court case where I I'm making or, or making bad case law from a defense perspective or a claims perspective, or I'm making good law from a defense or a claims perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, They're so fact sensitive that it it's, very important at the, at the outset to get, to get good information. For sure. And, you know, I think that's absolutely important when you're dealing with the claimants and and especially trying to establish that report early on, you know, you know, asking, you know, the effective questions and, you know, really trying to pull um, the answers that you need, Um, you know, having the claimants, you know, be able to share exactly what happened is so key to that, you know, especially when, you know, if you don't have video surveillance or, you know, things like that of the incident, um, you know, having that buy-in from the claimant, you know, it is so important. So, um, you know, and that's where I think treating them, you know, with the human element comes into play, you know, and having that empathy, um, when you're talking to them, you know, being as, um, you know, helpful as you can, you know, guiding through the process, you know, but also doing what's right for the claim, you know, you know, picking up the things that should be picked up, you know, whose absolute responsibility is this, um, you know, and determining that. And, um, you know, of course you always have those claimants that, 
you know, are, are claim savvy and they know, yeah. you know, what they're going to do and what steps they're going to take and you're never going to reach them, you know, but those that, you know, you might prevent from that, you know, being able to talk to them and have that conversation with them early on, I think does so much to, you know, help you throughout the rest of your claim. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was, I was, I'm glad you said that because that was actually my next question is how do you personally work to gain the trust of a claimant who might not be, you know, the most cooperative or might feel that you're working against them and not with them? You know, I try to relate as much as possible. <laughs> you know, I'll say, you know, I can imagine this is, you know, a scary time. You might not be sure, you know, what, you know, what the process is and let them know I'm here to help you um, as much as I can. So, um, you know, the more we can work together, the better it's going to be, um, you know, and I really just try to let them know, you know, I get it. I know it's kind of, you know, scary going through the process. You don't know what to expect. You're injured. You might not be feeling your best, um, you know, and just relating to them, um, you know, and talking them through things, you know, I, I don't get too riled up if, you know, they start getting a little bit on the defense, um, you know, the more they do that, the more I am a calm and relaxing presence, you know, cause I'm sure, you know, it's probably agitating to have to deal with so many people. You're getting a million phone calls from people, you know, half the time I think they wonder who they're even talking to <laughs> and, you know, just trying to explain things as best as you can. Um, you know, I think education is so, so important and everyday life, but, you know, also with the claims world, you know, if you're able to educate the claimant, let them know, this is who I am. This is what we're doing. You know, this is why I'm talking to you about this. Um, you know, providing that factual background of why, um, you know, we're going through this process and, you know, providing a clear guideway as to here's what the next steps are. Um, you know, those are vital, um, to being able to, um, you know, deal with the, you know, those kinds of um, claimants that are, you know, worked up about, you know, their injury that might go bad. I, I do think there is some though that you, you're never gonna, you're never gonna reach no matter how hard you try, <laughs> um, you know, and that's just claims world. Um, but, you know, doing my best to relate to them, I think is, you know, the best thing you can do early on. Yeah. And I, and and them feeling like they have a partner, mm -hmm. you know, to help guide them through that. Not that you're going to give them like it, it's, you might be a partner. doesn't mean like you're going to give them everything that they're hoping and dreaming for, but right. you know, you are here to help navigate. Um, I think I was talking to someone recently and, and her theme was uh, humanizing comp claims and, you know, just treating everyone as, as a, like a human, not just a, a claimant so to mm -hmm. speak. So, yeah. um, and understanding like how, how, how deeply this can affect that individual. So there can be a, a underlining mistrust, like distrust or skepticism to the mm -hmm. process. Right. Right. Agreed. Um, you know, <laughs> we always, um, you know, talk about that, you know, there, there's those claimants that, um, you know, they, they do, they have this, you know, instant distrust of you, 
Um, but I think the more that you can explain the process and like really actually have those outcomes, you know, it builds their trust as you go along the claim. If, you know, you're answering the phone when they call answering their questions and, you know, you know, it's backed up with, you know, the service you can provide them and, and the help that you can give them, you know, the more that they're going to trust you, you know, it, it, it's all, it's all customer service when it comes yeah. down to it. And I was going to say, sometimes they provide you with too much information. You become their, you become their best friend. Oh yeah. <laughs> about, you know, their dog died last week and, you know, things that you don't really need to know about. Right. <laughs> There's that you know, too. But it, you know, that's what all part of, you know, helping to um to gain their trust. If you know, they if you're a sympathetic ear, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> sometimes you have those claimants you, you know, you can't get off the phone and like, <laughs> call you all the time. And you know, it can be annoying at the time. Absolutely, but you know when you have a good outcome, it's very endearing because <laughs> like, Oh, that guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay, here we go. He's calling me again. Uh, but you know, when you're able actually to help somebody, you know, it makes it worth it. Um, yeah. but yeah, you have those people that, you know, they just, you know, you talk to them once and then you're best friends and yeah. you know, they're going to call you like once a day for the next five <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, um, so we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted, I, there was a few, a few smaller things I wanted to touch on before, before we wrap up. Um, one is, you know, if you were looking back on, on your career now, um, you know, what sort of advice would you give yourself, like your younger self, um, knowing what you, you know, having, you know, gone through, you know, a number of years in, in this field? I think just having the grace to learn, um, you know, you don't need to be an expert all at once. Uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, everybody's new at one point in their career, getting into a new job and especially like this, where there's so many moving pieces, so many laws, so many jurisdictions, you know, um, you know, I'm sure that people have, you know, had those things where they're like, Oh man, why did I ask such a stupid question? Like, why did I do this on this claim? Like, you know, those are the things that you need to learn to have grace with <laughs> because yeah. it's going to happen. It happens to me today, you know, um, you know, cause you're always going to be learning something new. So just having that grace with yourself to understand that you're not going to be an expert, you know, immediately right off the bat, um, you know, have a learning curve and, uh, you know, just get used to, to, you know, how to ask a question and, you know, how to approach somebody, you know, those are a lot of the, the key to claims, I think is how you're going to approach a situation and how you're going to talk to somebody through it. Um, you know, and not only with just with claimants, but with your counsel, with, you know, physicians and, you know, all those different people that you're going to talk to in the day to day. Um, But yeah, I mean, everyone's a person. So, you know, I, I think when I started, I was so intimidated by like having to pick up a phone and call a doctor's office and call an attorney and talk to them. You know, you think that, you know, I'm just a slowly claims manager and there's these, you know, people that are, but you realize they're just human like you are. And yeah. <laughs> I think that was probably, you know, the best thing to learn um, early on. Yeah. And then, 
also, I think ha- having a little bit of a thick skin too, because sometimes you're going to call those people and they might not be mm-hmm. nice or receptive and it's not you, it's them. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a little bit me, it's, I'm still going to blame them. No. <laughs> That's fine. No one yeah. else will know except everyone listening to this. No. Right. It's okay. Um, I'll get through it. <laughs> But yeah, definitely. I think you have to have a thick skin with this job because there's always going to be somebody that you're not going to make happy. (laughs) I mean, especially as a claims manager, like nine times out of 10, I feel like you don't make people happy, but you know, it's just rolling with the punches, having a thick skin and, you know, operating on the principles, you know, you know, am I doing the right thing? And if so, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, The other thing I wanted to touch on before we before we wrap up, because we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, and you mentioned that you're a big fan of true crime documentaries. And I kid you not, it has come up in I think every podcast I've recorded in the last mm-hmm. like three weeks. It, is it this job? Is that why so many of us like are into that like genre of entertainment because we like to like pick things apart and figure it out I I don't know like (laughs) it might be a lot of my colleagues definitely are into you know the true crime stuff and maybe maybe it is maybe it's the um you know picking a part of a case you know I always see those memes on on Facebook and stuff about, you know, <laughs> you're sitting on the couch and be like, I could figure out this claim- crime already, you <laughs> idiot. Like, you know, and you're sitting on the couch and you've already got it solved, but you know, you're watching this documentary about it. And it's just like, maybe, cause we like to investigate. I mean, I think that's the whole thing is getting to the bottom of it and finding out the actual truth and the fact. Um, maybe, maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find my biggest challenge whenever I'm watching anything is staying off of Google until mm. I'm done because I always just want to like start and I'm like no 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 let me like let me go through the entertainment that I decided to sign myself up for and let me be entertained and then I can start picking apart but I have such a hard time like trying to restrain from doing the deep dive like mid right. in a you know a series oh right absolutely I'm always <laughs> I'll watch some I'll start watching something or listen to like a true crime podcast and you know, I'm Googling the, the victim or the <laughs> offender and, you know, finding out what happened before I get to the end of the podcast. Absolutely. I have to like refrain myself as well. It's a conscious effort. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's yeah, hard. It because um, I'm like, I, and then I'm depriving myself of this. Like, I, I, I signed up for this piece of entertainment. So why am I derailing it to like, let me be entertained. Like just right. relax. Let's it's a natural talk. nosiness. And I say that all the time. I, I Maybe I'm nosy because, and maybe that's why I'm good at claims because I want all the details. Tell me everything, girl. Um, yeah, it's definitely like that. So maybe that's why claims adjusters are also good at their jobs is because they're nosy. <laughs> yes. I think thing. that's a really good point though. I, I like, it's like, you know, I think, isn't that such a, like, I think that people say that's a negative, like, oh, he or she's so nosy. No, no, be nosy's good. <laughs> get, when get it comes in, to claims, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe being nosy and gossipy together, not a good combo, but just nosy and claims, probably nosy. good. <laughs> I have to know all the details. I mean, don't tell me a little bit, tell me everything. I don't know. I'm here <laughs> for it. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> exactly. I'm all ears. <laughs> Well, 
Andrea, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, I hope um, I hope it lived up to the hype that I told you. I haven't had anyone come on yet. They told me it was a bad experience and they'll never do it again. Um, so I, I hope I live by my word. <laughs> oh, it was a great time. Thank you. <laughs> it's thank true you so much, Andrea. I love podcasts and workers comp. It's so <laughs> <go> wrong. <laughs> Well, you know, and for our listeners out there, always, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrest on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on YouTube at TDNR Podcast. Uh, and thank you, Andrea, again for joining us. Thank you.